Hey, welcome to the show. This is Hip Hop Numbers. Proudly independent, as always, as is my guest this week. So, another story about the beauty of independence. What's up? Sorry about that, man. I uh, I just I shot a video uh, on because I had this song coming out on Monday. So Sunday night, I just hit my friend up and I was like, "Yeah, I kind of want to shoot a video and get it out this week." And we just ran and shot it that night in like three hours. And you know, it's just a scramble to to get it all out. Is up there now? Yeah, yeah. Just po- just posted it and uh, shared it with like my community, which is you know the text. The text stuff where I can, I can text all my fans and shit. So, yeah, it's out right now. I'm, I'm gonna post it on uh, on social shit later. I love that song, man. Locked in a box. It's uh, it's a bit of a rough title though. Like, is you know some pretty hard lyrics on that one. Yeah, yeah. I I actually shared uh, like I have this I have this VIP group going now, which is kind of like a Patreon style uh, you know, community, and uh, I sent. I sent like the alternate version of the of the beat. Like I was deciding between these two beats and I sent them this other one. It was just like the, the beat I sent them just to show them like what I was deciding between. It was just too happy. And the song like ultimately, ultimately, even though the song is not like, it's still got a lot of energy and shit. It's a, it's still a pretty, uh, you know, pretty grim topic to be, uh, to be talking about like getting stuck in your head and shit like that. So I had to go with it. With the uh, depressing shit, man, you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, well, I think like in the past, you've kind of gone with a little bit more upbeat, like uh, Worst Day of My Life. Like that instrumental is kind of happy and, and playful, but uh, Locked in a Box, it's pretty, it's some pretty low, low stuff, man. Is the video match it as well? Yeah, yeah, the video, I mean, I think it, you know, some people will, especially in that VIP group, they'll hear the other beat and when they see the video, with the current beat like with the beat i chose i think it'll make a lot more sense but yeah i in the past i've I've used uh you know worst day of my life was a song that i wanted to build on the happy beat because it was such a depressing topic so i thought it was kind of cool that that like juxtaposition just a little bit of contrast on that one i think that's something that's really underrated like one of my favorite bands placebo do that a lot where they kind of put like really difficult lyrics on top of like really poppy instrumentals and i think it creates a really cool mix because the listeners kind of like all right what direction am i going in here like i don't know what's going on here yeah it's the first uh worst day of my life was like the i think the only song that i've ever created with other people in mind um because i wanted to make it I wanted it to be like an outlet. I wanted it to be like something that if you got in your car after a really shitty day, then you just start like belting those lyrics, mm-hmm. you know, and you can really fucking like top volumes, like scream them out. And it's still an enjoyable experience instead of like just getting in your car and sulking after a bad day. I'm just a bit like, cause you know, obviously with unsigned, this, this song reminds me a lot of unsigned, you know, uh, the apartment you were living at the time, how you felt about that. You know, you even said in in that song that the apartment was kind of dragging down your mental health, and this song kind of felt like an extension of that. Is that is that off? Like, what's going on at the moment to to cause locked in a box? Yeah, actually, uh, that this song was 
created in that six day period where I was okay. finishing up the album. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, very literally I was like locked in a box. I mean, it was just an empty apartment uh, that just had my recording equipment left. But, um, but, you know, I still have like a booth that I recorded, record everything in. So that, that is the box, you know, like there's so many, there's, there's so many extensions of the box, but, uh, you know, the, the studio, the room I'm in and then the booth that I'm in, but then also just like being stuck in my head. Uh, but, but, you know, I never, I never escaped that the mindset I've gotten better at dealing with it. I think, you know, as time moves on, everybody is just always searching for this like happiness and peace. Um, but really I, I just feel like the most important thing is just that you get, you get better at dealing with, certain mm-hmm. mental states that you might find yourself in which is kind of I was talking to my friend about that shit yesterday I feel like I still I'm still I still hit very deep depression and anxiety but it almost doesn't hurt as much anymore there's almost not as much physical pain associated with it because I just kind of know that it'll pass at some point and I know that it's just kind of a part of life to deal with it so, you know, I can almost embrace it more than I, than I used to, because I tried to avoid it for so long. Yeah. I was talking to one of the first psychologists I ever saw and, and she asked me kind of, what is your goal in life? And I said, well, everyone says they want to be happy, but I said, I don't think happiness is sustainable. I think it's a fleeting emotion that you feel sometimes, but it's not, I mean, if you're happy all the time, I think that's quite, can be quite destructive. I think a lot of the time you've just got to learn to ride the ups and downs of life and life is chaotic and you've just got to be able to be resilient through the chaos. Yeah. I think, uh, I, I was reading a book that was talking about how we, nothing's really a positive or negative experience. It's really, it's really how we label it. That's what makes it what it is for us. So, you know, there's probably situations that you can look back on in your past where you're thinking, man, when I was in that situation, it was really shitty for me. I, you know, I hated that so much and I, I did not enjoy going through that. But then, you know, a couple months, weeks, years later, you can look back and, and be like, I needed that. And that's the reason I got where I got. So all of the all the positive shit that happens in our lives is a direct result of all the negative shit. So if you can learn to kind of embrace the emotions that come along with the negative shit, then I think you'll be better off. Yeah, I think so. I think that's 100% right. And, you know, you create meaning from those, those that, you know, Mac Miller said, we only grow from anguish. And I think a lot of the time people, as you say, like, I'm, I'm a big believer in avoiding if it's too much. But at the same time, I recognize that at some point, I'm going to have to come back to it and deal with it. And the quicker I do that, the less overwhelming it's going to feel, you know, and, and the more, I guess, yeah, the more success I'm going to have in that. For sure. One thing I, one thing I always discuss with people these are like my favorite conversations to have It's about just like the philosophy of becoming, trying to become a better version of yourself. And one of the things I always talk about with my friends is, is everything comes down to fear. And usually we don't recognize it as fear, but you're, when you talk about avoiding particular emotions uh, at some, at some point that might be like the best decision for you just because you're not equipped to deal with it at that particular moment. But at the end of the day, avoidance is fear me not dropping a song for eight months or whatever that's fear that's mm-hmm. fear that like and I, and as that as time goes on it gets harder for me to drop a song because 
I start running through situations in my head where I'm like, maybe I'm not good anymore. Maybe my fans don't like my shit anymore. Maybe, you know, and I, and I kind of sit here and I'm like, maybe I can, I should rest on the idea that my first two albums were a relative success because then I won't have to challenge my identity and figure out whether or not I'm good at making music. And ultimately, ultimately that boils down to this fear that, uh, that I am, I'm not who I think I am. And, and the best thing that you can do in all those situations is just face that fear and figure it out. That's one of the hardest things for people who have a predisposition for this is that even if you overcome that fear once or twice or three times, every time you're not vigilant and not on top of it, it creeps back in and then it becomes another overwhelming thing that you have to overcome. And, and that like inertia, you have to overcome it again. And I find it quite exhausting. The fact that I constantly have to do that. You know, I feel like if I've already done it once, it should be there in my DNA already, but it just doesn't stay. The fear creeps back in again and I have to overcome it again. It, it can be quite frustrating. Man, that's so interesting that you say that because I've, I finally figured that out when I was dropping while you were sleeping, like the last album, uh, I think I wrote, I always like write a little letter to my like fans and followers and shit as, as I'm like approaching a big project just to kind of explain where I'm coming from. Uh, and I think I wrote something about that, about how I had to learn that lesson again. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't very explicit about it. Like I wasn't, I don't think I said it, you know, very frankly, but that's exactly what it was. I, had done it the first time where I, you know, got the guts to, to drop whatever, whatever I thought my sound should be and whatever, you know, I wanted to. And then after a kind of a space of not dropping, I lost a little bit of that momentum where I have, you know, from working up that courage to drop shit. And I had to learn that lesson all over again. And then I, so, but then I did and I dropped the album and then here we are almost a year later where I'm having to learn that lesson again for the third time. And so I don't think there's, you know, I think it is, it is a, uh, the mind is, is a muscle. It's the same kind of exercise where if you don't, if you don't work out your body for 12 months, if you don't go on a run for 12 months and then you try to go run a couple miles, you're going to be hurt. Yeah. Something you always have to stay on top of. You know, I always say this, like, I kind of enjoy being anxious for long periods of time because I know that I'm always going to be anxious again at some point in the future. And anytime there's a break from it, I get quite confronted because I'm like, I'm losing my practice. I'm like, I'm going to end up being anxious again in a week's time and I'm not going to be ready for it. Whereas if I wake up anxious every day, I'm like, okay, I'm used to this. Like I can deal with this. I know what this is. And my psychologist actually says that that kind of keeps me in an anxious cycle, but it's hard, man. It's hard to get out of that thing. Like it's quite, it's a scary thing to even like being well kind of scares me sometimes because I haven't been well for so long. It's like, I don't even know what that is or how that feels. For sure. And you're afraid that you're going to lose that at any moment. So once you start to enjoy it, then you, mm -hmm. then that anxiety creeps in again. Cause you're like, ah, I don't know if I should really embrace this because I don't know how long it's going to last. With a song like not that deep, I got some conflicting messages on that and I could be just misreading it, but the chorus, if it's not six feet, it's not that deep. But then you say in the first verse, my life's been a mess since last week. Sometimes my heart too heavy and I think I'm a sink when it's just not that deep. It almost feels like you're criticizing yourself for feeling too much. Am I off in that? No, no, you're, I mean, you're pretty close. It's, you know, I think it's hard for me to pinpoint exactly emotionally like what a song is about. 
um, because I don't make it in like in 10 minutes. You know what I mean? So um, it's it's interesting to try to like finish an emotion when you've when you've already started it. Um, But but for not that deep to me, it's just like I overthink a lot of shit. Um, And over time, I've realized that, like, even though I go through a lot of anxiety because of the fact that I overthink, um, it's also who make what makes me who I am, like has gotten me where I've, where I've been. So, so to a degree, I'm like thankful of, you know, how analytical I am, even if I'm overanalyzing situations and it's kind of, you know, a little bit of torture. Um, I'm still grateful at least that I'm like that aware, excuse me. And that's, uh, you know, when I, I think not that deep mainly for me was, excuse me, about my, uh, my experiences with like psychedelics. Um, so that was like when I started to, you know, in the second verse, I said like, um, I tab it down the rabbit hole and went on this tangent, uh, radical thoughts, the end of mental expansion. So it's like, it's like me, uh, me trying these different psychedelics and getting to a point where I'm like, you know, the world is very complex, but like life is a lot simpler than, than I make it out to be, you know, all these, all these conflicting emotions when like none of those are really the helpful ones you know like i get i get really sad and angry and this and that but like that doesn't help me at all do you think that your like psychedelics has helped you in that sense because i I speak to a lot of people who have who have kind of found their truth through that and you know it's changed their way of thinking completely and it's kind of something that they preach is that something you're passionate about like did it really help you yeah, man. You know, I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to be the the drug advocate for everybody. Like, I don't. Of course. Wanna, I don't want to. I don't want to sit here and say everybody should do every drug. Um, but speaking for me personally, I, as much as drugs sometimes bring me a little bit of tor- turmoil in my life, they also change my perspective. And um, a lot of times, that's a that's a healthy change, even when it feels unhealthy at the moment. Like, at least if you're aware of it, then like you you've seen that side, and so it just gives you a better perspective of everything like in three dimensions. And uh, I mean, I'm staring at this book right now on my, on my desk that's called how to change your mind. It's by Michael Pollan. It's about psychedelic research and how they're using that over the last, mainly over the last 30 years, but it goes back to like the sixties and stuff um, and how they're using that to treat addiction and anxiety. And um, you know, it's, I think it's going to become a really big thing as far as mental health in the next like 10 years, but it's definitely something that like I would proceed with caution. Like if I were advising people to, if they wanted to get into it. Um, but it's definitely helped me just because it's like helped me look at the world in a different way and kind of appreciate different things and realize that, you know, it's not that deep sometimes. So. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to tell anyone what to do either, but I've been on the other side of it where I've been in psychiatric meds for the last like 12 years and, I personally have no, like I just started THC the other day, actually cannabis um, for my anxiety and it's helping so much and it's so much more natural than what I'm normally taking. Seroquel and metazapine, like these drugs that they kind of push down your throat. And it's like, it, the problem was obviously that in the sixties, all these drugs got classified as class A or whatever. And they're like, yeah, you can't do schedule any more research one, yeah. on them. Yeah. Schedule one. So like mm-hmm. they didn't start again until, you know, the nineties or the early two thousands. And, I've actually been in a few trials of things, especially ketamine, where it's actually really helpful. So, man, I, I I really pray that they can actually start doing some research and regulating these things and getting it out to people because 
the other side is, you know, the, the drugs you take on the other side, which are fully prescribed and, you know, doctors agree with them and everything that they're, they're pretty heavy stuff as well. You know, it's, just, it's not a great path to walk down. Yeah. It's not a, it's, uh, it doesn't feel like a permanent solution, you know, at least not like the, the best alternative. And sometimes when you look at some of these drugs that, you know, that we're talking about when it's like psilocybin and, um, and like some of the, you know, you were talking about weed, like some of the more natural things, um, you know, my girl works in cannabis and that's her, that's her, uh, motto is if it grows, it grows. So, you know, I mean, humans naturally will find a way to exploit something for capitalism. So I'm sure, you know, we'll see that with psilocybin and LSD and shit in the next couple of years where people, even though LSD is a man-made molecule, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll see something where, where big pharmacy just takes over and like tries to absolutely shit on, you know, that aspect of the industry. But, um, but until then, I mean, you know, it's, it's definitely something to, uh, to mm, at least read about if you're interested, because uh, I think there's a lot there that, that kind of gets kind of gets tainted by the whole Hollywood idea of like a, of a trip of a mushroom trip and shit. Well, uh, I actually had a, so I had a bad experience once I had uh, an edible with a friend where he made them and it turned out that the marijuana was laced with PCP. So I tell Jesus. you what that evening and my friend actually had the same experience. We were together and we both speak about it a lot. And she actually had a psychotic episode after that, but that was, one of the most confronting things because like we just thought oh yeah the edible is kicking in now like you know it's, it's pretty intense but um that was my experience with getting way too high that was uh, shit man i can't even explain that that was that was a very unpleasant thing to go through hallucinating hallucinating like for about six straight hours i thought i was having Jeez. a full conversation with my friend that never happened and then i, I thought Jeez. that my heart had turned to pulp and i could feel it like oozing out of my pores Oh man. Yeah. It was a really I, bad experience. I think the craziest thing about hallucination is that like, you're so, if it's even, even when you know that you're just high, you're still so convinced that it's real. Yeah. Um, and that's, what's so weird is like, even after you come down, it still feels like it was a reality that you lived through. You know what I mean? Like you can still feel everything about that, about peaking like that. But I mean, and that's a and that's a shitty experience. And you said, you know, your friend has a had an episode uh, after that. And I'm sorry to hear that. And that's what, like, you know, they warn about psychedelic research too. Is if if you've had any um, any susceptibility to like mental issues in the past, then it's probably not a good idea to to go down that road because they have had, you know, um, a little bit of like schizo- schizophrenia. Yeah, uh, that's been that's been kind of amplified by by psychedelic research before so it's definitely not for everybody but that's why you gotta read about it how do you uh how do you dream do you dream vividly as well man i had a fucked up dream last night um yeah. i didn't do any i didn't do any drugs yesterday or anything sometimes i feel like I feel like usually when i don't i'm very open about my drug use because like i'm just I, i'm just an honest transparent person and like yeah i just tell my uh I tell my parents about everything now and every like just with no hesitation, just because now that I am financially stable, I just feel like I can do that without them really worrying about me. Um, But I had a fucked up dream last night that I was uh, like being arrested 
um, that the police like came into my bedroom and they were like, yo, do you like, they were just looking around and acting like they knew they were going to find something and I knew they weren't. And then they did find something. And then like, they were mistreating me like all the way to the, um, like all the way in the cop car and everything. And, and it was like, man, I woke up and it had fucked me all the way up. And I was just like, God, there's so many people in the world that actually experience this. You know, I've never had like a negative interaction with police um, just because like, I mean, let's be frank about it. Like I'm a straight white male. So like, it's just, yeah. So it's just, there's a lot of times when, yeah, there's a lot of times when like I've been super privileged. Yeah, I was uh, I did an interview with Nick and Nugby earlier in the week, and we were talking about that because he he speaks about it on one of his songs, and just the idea of like always being scared, just being outside, and just being terrified, and driving, and being terrified, and uh, you know, as again as a white male, it's just uh, it boggles my mind that anyone should ever have to live through that, and I don't understand it, man. I just don't get it. It just doesn't compute to me. It doesn't make sense. Do you think that? sometimes the deeper message of your lyrics gets lost sometimes because there's often like a huge sense of loss and isolation and confusion in the bars like you know really trash hook i actually thought was an attempt to kind of speak on this with people fixating on the hook or just the beat and not interacting with the lyrics do you think that it gets lost or do you think people are, are getting that message yeah i think it's i think it's constantly getting lost but i think it also gets lost when i'm making it because I go through so many emotions on a daily basis. And so whenever I'm writing something or, or mixing something or whatever, th- those emotions are fluctuating the whole time. So uh, I think I told you that before, like I might end a song with, in a different state than I began the song. Yeah. So, so it's kind of, you know, I, I can listen back to my own music and get a, get something different from it each time that I listen to it, which is kind of interesting to do yeah. with my own music. Cause I'll kind of be like, Oh yeah, I remember I wrote this bar because I felt this way. And then I wrote this bar because I felt this way. Um, but ultimately art is whatever the perception of the, of the viewer is, you know, the consumer. So I, I don't really worry too much about whether or not people get it. I think it's fun for me at certain points to go back and be able to explain things or if people ask detailed questions, I like to go in on it, but I, I kind of just do whatever i whatever I feel like doing it and let people depict it however they want to. Yeah. I was going to ask about your process because the thing that kind of struck me was the second verse on Super Bowl trophy, which is crazy. I think that's the best technical I've ever heard you rap. And I was wondering what is your process? Do you write, does it take a long time to write your lyrics? Does the beat come first? Like, how is that? Is it just come out naturally? How does that work? Yeah, I I don't uh, I always write alone. I actually I think it's I think I've excelled in the last couple of years because I started mixing my own shit. So then I yeah. and recording my own shit, so I didn't have to do it in front of anybody else. So there's not a period where, because I you know I've been in the studio with people before, like very very well established artists, big artists who you would think because of their success that they have no inhibitions. And that they're completely confident in their abilities and their craft. And they're not. And they're looking around and looking at me and going, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? And like giving me bars and shit. And I was the the first time I experienced that when I looked at guys who I've been listening to for 10 years and they're looking at me like, hey, what do you think about this bar? I was like, yo, these guys are exactly like me. 
because I sit around and I'll tweak syllables for hours. I'll look up and then two hours have passed and I've been working on the same eight bars for two hours, just changing rhymes and syllables and, and, and stuff that people will never, ever notice. Just like this uh, third or fourth rhyme that, that doesn't even have anything to do with the overall rhyme scheme, just because to me, that's what makes it feel good. But at the end of the day, I do think that that's what makes you successful is giving a shit about stuff that other people don't even realize. It's like a subconscious thing. So I don't know. I, I, my writing process is tedious and, and often painful, but you know, that, I think that is what makes me who I am. It's just really, really fucking giving a shit about what I say. I think that's one of the mo- most important things because, you know, in today's climb, there's a lot of artists who sound similar, but actually giving a shit kind of gives you a uniqueness where you're not going to make the same album every time. You're not going to make the same song every time. And it means that people are always going to be coming back and interested in what you have to say next, because they're like, actually, I listen to this project. And then the next project, like unsigned is different to your previous projects, you know, while you're sleeping so much different as well. It's like, everyone kind of wants to know what you have to say about things. And it's exciting you know, when you drop, it's like, okay, what do you got to say here? And I think that that, that comes across. Yeah. I think there's just, there's just different. I mean, there's so many different kinds of music and I, I actually enjoy music. That's the complete opposite of mine. So I, it's kind of interesting how I, I tend to gravitate towards at least these days, music that seems effortless and doesn't really have as much uh, concentration and thought. And it's more just kind of like free flowing. I listen to a lot of like baby Keem and stuff. There's, you know, there's a lot of times when Baby Keem will fucking rap four bars and none of them will run. Mm-hmm. There'll just be four different, four different words at the end of, of it and none of it will run. And that's, I, I could never, for some reason, it's almost like this unwritten rule where I could never do that. But I still admire it because it's completely different from what I do. But that's the beauty of music, man, is there's, it's just completely objective. And I, it bothers me when people like, consumers will try to say this is his best song or this this is better than this or whatever it's like none of it there's no such thing as better yeah Yeah. it's just it's just i like this more this is my favorite but i think my my fans tend to uh tend to gravitate towards towards some some kind of logical structure to to a song and and kind of uh try to see what my perspective on a particular topic is and sometimes it's not even about anything. Sometimes it's just me kind of just mouthing off because that's just something I like to do. So I, I think it's just beautiful that there's so many different options that people have to choose from. I'm really curious about this because one of the artists I really respect is Earl, who built a fan base based off a certain type of music and Tyler too. And then they changed their direction so dramatically and with regards to you, because obviously you're under the management deal and, you know, you have billboard charting projects and, uh, you know, five, six years ago, you were famous in LA and everyone knew you. And then you went independent. Is there, like, did you gain most of your follow uh, your fans during that period or did they come before or after that? And if they did come during that period, how do you, what's the best way to say like what how do you create content that they still are interested in when you're independent and you're not in that headspace anymore i think the well i don't know i didn't really have i had this perception um this outside perception of 
um, of the LA industry life. Like, you know, that's kind of one thing that bothered me so much and probably a reason that I couldn't keep up this consistent facade uh, when I was in that management deal is, you know, I got a, I get a picture with ASAP Rocky and I, I don't know Rocky. I'm just next to Rocky. And so then the internet looks at me like, oh, I like he knows Rocky. No, we don't know each other. That's just kind of like a moment. And that's that's kind of what Instagram has always been is just kind of a, an opportunity for people to flex, even if they don't really have it like that. And I, I, I never really had it like that. And I think as a result, the energy behind my music was just weak. I just couldn't stand behind the things that I was kind of trying to 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 be and play um, this weird role that I really didn't feel like I was. So then once I just gave up on that and started just completely being myself, um, I think that's when I really started to pick up fans, especially my core fan base, like my real fans that actually give a shit. And that's, that's what, um, I mean, I could talk, I could really talk about fans for a long time because it's this interesting topic where, I feel like I don't necessarily deserve any admiration from other people. Um, but, but I have this, this uh, standard for fans that I think is different than most, which is listeners are not fans. Fans are people who give a shit about you. Mm. Fans are people who care about you as an artist or a person and not just like somebody who listens to your music. So I'd say all my real core fans um, came from all the songs where I was just being myself. Yeah, Memphis Bleak said in an interview once, they were talking about like followers versus fans. And he was just like, those people are just lookers. They're going to look at your life, but they're not going to engage in it and they're not going to interact with you. And I think certainly after the deal and certainly with Unsigned and then while you're sleeping and the visuals around that, we got way more of your personality and i think that that's what drags people in you know like the other otherwise they look as oh you're next to asap rocky you must be famous so check your music out but when you actually start giving us your personality that's when people get invested right the the onlookers are they're there to distract themselves from their own shitty boring lives and you know if if some people will look at what you're doing and they don't care if you succeed or fail. They just want to watch you do either. But, but then, you know, like I was saying, real fans are people who want to see you succeed. They want to see you win. Whereas other people just kind of want to be distracted. So I don't know. I'm, I'm cool with the, I understand that some people don't really give a shit and I'm, and I'm not going to sit here and beg people to give a shit. Um, but I'm definitely going to, going to appreciate the people who do really give a shit. I'm really curious to see how you view yourself as a rapper because I feel like when you get to a certain level of popularity, as you say, everyone starts comparing you to someone else and the comparisons are out of your control. Uh, but do they affect you? Does it frustrate you? Does it like, you know, how do you feel about when people are like, oh, Carl, Carl Scooby sounds like, you know, X or Y or Z or something like that? Uh, yeah, I mean, the white rapper comparison is kind of annoying just because people look at it's some people will hear my music and not compare me to a white rapper. And then they'll go watch one of my videos and be like, he sounds like G-Eazy. It's like, no, nah, man, I look like G-Eazy. Like, that's, you know, that's the difference. It's like, you see, you see my skin tone and immediately like try to say, oh, he sounds like this or that or whatever. 
And it's all it's usually like it's always a white rapper, which is funny because frankly, I don't listen to any other white rappers. No, I mean, there's some that are good out there. Like I think Jack Harlow is a good rapper, um, you know, and there's there's some dudes that I that I appreciate their sound or or I think that they're technically good rappers and it might just not be my cup of tea. Uh, those those comparisons are kind of annoying just because I think to the untrained ear to say that to say that somebody sounds like somebody else is just to look at two people with the same hair and be like, yeah, those those guys are look look similar. It's like, no, that's that's only one element of my sound, you know, or that's only one element of my image. So usually comparisons like aren't very grounded. And there's not there's not much of a comparison there. People are just kind of reaching for something to relate to. Yeah, I think when you had shorter hair, maybe g but not with the longer hair. I don't think g grown his hair out, has he? Far out. The, you, <laughs> like Jack one, Harlow, uh, surely. Yeah, the one, uh, the one comparison I will accept these days is Blake from Workaholics. I'm looking okay. a lot like, I'm not even going to lie. If you look at Blake from Workaholics, he's got the, this long curly hair. I saw a picture of him and my friend Lamorne the other day, and I... I did a double take because I for real thought it was me. I was like, dude, this looks like a Photoshopped image of me, which is trippy because usually when other people are oh, making wow. the comparison, usually when other people are like, you look like this guy, you're like, no, I fucking don't. Man. Like not even close. But I, I look exactly like that, dude. So that I'm going to mu- get him in a music video for sure, bro. For sure. Bro, you have to. I mean, you're prettier than him, but still, like, he's, <laughs> he's not bad, man. Uh, I like the I like the long hair way more than the the short hair. To be honest, are you just gonna keep growing it out? Like what what happened yeah, with that? So what's what's funny, and I I don't think I've ever had an opportunity to really talk about this before. But uh, my my friend Mark, my old roommate, he told me because I just I kind of just neglected it. I got my haircut in July of 20, uh, 2018 or something like that, um, and. I only know that because my driver's license is like the day after I last cut my hair, which is kind of funny because then when I when I get carded anywhere, it just doesn't yeah. even look like me at all. But uh, but yeah, I uh, I it wasn't even purposeful. I wasn't trying to grow my hair out or anything. But my roommate kept saying, you know, hey, you just got to grow your hair out until you get out of this management deal. Um, I think probably because they kind of wanted to meet, wanted me to be like pop starish, cute, short hair. My manager was always saying, you know, if I was going to a video shoot or something, he'd always be like, yeah, you should get your hair cut before you go to the video. Um, and I never really understood that just because I'm just not that well kept. I'm not saying I'm stinky. I'm not, a, you know, I'm not over here not showering and shit. It's just, I just have no problem being bummy because if, you know, if somebody I don't know, thinks i'm ugly i don't really care there's nothing there's nothing i can really do about that that shit's gonna happen no matter what um but it, but it is kind of interesting because my friend edgar estevez who's a videographer he actually shoots um some a lot of russ's videos he shot uh losing control i believe was the first video he shot for russ and he had told me once that he played he was playing my shit on the way to like some festival um, that Russ was playing and Russ was like, yo, who is this? Oh. And Edgar brings up my shit and shows, th- shows that shit to Russ. And Russ is like, yo, he's, he's nice, but his image, like he has no image. What's his image? Mm-hmm. Like, but he said, this is what, at least what Edgar told me, Edgar said, how would you describe him? 
And he's like, I don't know, fucking white, blonde. And he's like, exactly. There's nothing there. So I, I do think it's funny. I do think it's funny now that my hair is longer. Um, it wasn't like there was no intention there, but it is kind of funny that it, that does kind of give somebody one other describing factor to kind of characterize me and make it a little bit different. But I'm just going to let it go, man. I'm just letting it grow. Yeah, man. To see how far it goes. It's fascinating you say that actually, because I don't know, like, I said this to my friend the other day because obviously we spoke last week and I, I did a lot of research prior to that. But then I kind of did even more research this week and just kind of watched your videos. And I was like, man, I, I kind of feel like I know this guy. But it's just the way that you come across in your videos now where it's just you. Like, it's your personality, you know? Like, shits and gigs is hilarious and it's you and you're joking around and, you know, giving us, like, all these kind of personal uh, backstories to things. And that's... The point, and I wonder if so many artists are just stuck in, you know, major label situations, management situations where they're just, you have to act like this. This is the image we've created for you. You have to act this way all the time. And we're just losing their actual individual personality a lot of the time. Yeah, I definitely think that's the case. I think it's not always just a label, major label situation. Sometimes it's just the fact that as an artist, you're looking at other artists and wondering why they're successful. Um, I have a, a friend of mine who's, who I think is a really talented artist and all the videos he makes are in the same lane as uh, all the other artists in his lane, but he's like a funny guy. And I'm like, man, you could stand out and be so yeah. different if you just let your character and your personality shine through in your videos. Um, but, but, you know, he keeps reiterating to me, he's like, this is, this is what they want from me. This is what my fans want from me. And I'm like, yeah, but you could attract a whole new demographic if you were just being yourself. Um, so it's just, it's, I think it's kind of a trap that we get into as a society just because of social media and, and us seeing, uh, apparent success and trying to mimic that and trying to get to that same level. A lot of time it's fear-based as well. Like I, I went through Jay-Z's discography for a podcast episode and like it was really interesting to see the moves he made. Like when Hard Knock Life, the song worked, then he put out anything and that didn't work. So then he pivoted into something else and then he did the shiny suits and that was working for Biggie, but then didn't work for him. So he pivoted into something else. And I think a lot of the time we're just like, okay, this is what worked this time. Let's just do that 10 more times. And when that starts right. working, you've got to come up with some new idea and be like, okay, now I've got to come up with something new and creative. Let's look around for something else that's working. Okay, that's working. Let's just do that. And it just ends up being a very small section of what works. And we're just, I think then things move incrementally because it's like there's no motivation to be creative and to take risks because it's scary. I agree. I agree. And there's no, like, I think the exponential growth comes from, it's funny that you kept saying this is like one of my favorite words is pivot because that's what I always whenever aspiring artists ask me what you know what they got to do it's like bro you just act like just do things and then if it works do it again yeah. and then if it doesn't work pivot and it's it's just not that deep it's just not that big of a deal because one of my friends was over here the other day and she said you know what if I put out songs for seven weeks in a row and then it doesn't pop and I'm like then you put out eight then you put out nine I mean, what it's either who you are or it's not. So you just have to keep pivoting until you find something that you're comfortable with doing that's also working for you. 
And that's where I think, you know, I've, I've found what, what I think is real success. And I, I don't want to base that on data or finances or whatever. Success to me is just doing something that can allow me, that affords me the ability to keep doing it. Like I, I make enough money to keep doing this and, and I'm at a, uh, um, a state that I'm happy with and I'm creating music and art that I'm comfortable creating. And I can continue to do that. To me, that's success. And the way that I got here is just by facing that fear over and over again and pivoting whenever I felt like it wasn't quite there. It's funny that you mentioned money with regard in regards to independence. Like, I don't know how true this is of you, but most of the people I've spoken to, it's learning to reinvest and recognizing that you're going to have to reinvest your own money into yourself and then taking that leap of faith every single time how is that is that true of you and if so like how hard is that to do yeah i don't uh i being broke for so long was the best thing for me i think for the longest time i of course just like everybody else when we get on social media and we see people doing cool shit we're like oh i want to do that and i want to have money um but i but i learned to live so far below my means that now that i'm doing now that i'm getting more money than just enough money to survive now that i'm I'm past that. I'm still living at that level where I'm I'm choosing to survive because I'm just happy there. I'm just I'm okay with that. I'm okay with eating the same foods and and shit like that most of the time. Um, but I mean, reinvesting in myself, it, the the best investment I ever made in myself was to to learn how to record and mix my own shit because that's essentially why I did that. It was costing me. $150 a mix uh, early on. And I was just thinking, man, I don't have $1,500 to make a 10 track album. So I better learn how to do this myself. That was the best investment I've made in myself. And $1,500 isn't even that much money to get a whole project mix. That's a pretty good deal, especially because the guy who was offering to do that is a highly skilled engineer. Uh, but ultimately, it got me to a place where there's no overhead cost for me. I, I, sometimes I wonder if I wonder who else has made two albums as and this sounds kind of douchey, but as successful as my last two albums with absolutely zero budget. It cost me no money to make those albums. And that's probably what I'm most proud of with both of those albums. I mean, the only artist I could think is Ross who dropped There's Really a Wolf and it was, he mixed it, he mastered it, he produced it, he had yeah, no features, sure. he like did the whole thing himself. Aside from that, that's rare, man. That's that's like real penny pinching stuff. I really relate to that because I'm a massive big, I'm a big fan of budgeting. But do you think that, is it even possible to be commercially successful without flexing these days? Like, is it just... Is it is there any kind of lane where you you can't you don't flex and you can still be commercially successful? That is such a good question, and it's something I'm still trying to figure out. It's I think it's funny too because I dropped this video, the song video called "I Told You." I dropped the the song right after uh, while you were sleeping, and then I dropped the video recently. And in the video, I'm doing all this weird flexing, like I'm sitting on my roof in a in a baby pool drinking uh, PBR and like cheap beer and cheap champagne and. I'm, I'm driving a, a Fiat, like a little two-door Fiat, uh, a little weird smart car looking thing. And so that was kind of what was funny about that video to me is 
I actually spent, you know, $500 to create the video, which I thought was, which, which for me is kind of like a lot of money to put into a video because usually my videos cost zero dollars. Um, but yeah, I, th- I, I think I've been trying to flex like in my own little weird way and just be goofy about it. Um, I, I just don't like, not like I was said before, now that I, I've been broke for so long, I don't feel the need to flex. But as far as being commercially successful, I feel like that's how people start to jump on board because flashing all the chains and the cars and all the money and stuff is how a lot of people tend to hop on the bandwagon because they're like, this is successful. This dude's doing his thing. It must be good. That's the problem with fame, man. It's just like I was talking to uh, C Scripture during the week. He's from Malawi. And he said a lot of the artists that he raps next to and raps alongside He's like, they haven't got the money they're talking about. They haven't got the cars they're talking about. And it just becomes a whole false economy where it's like, we're talking about things we don't have and people who don't have those things also are invested in it. And it's just like, okay, what what's the actual point of this art? Like, what are you, what are we achieving here? I don't understand the, the end goal of that. Right. And, you know, I, I look at a lot of, when you talk about commercially successful artists, um, I guess I, I mean, I would consider myself to be commercially successful. I'm not like, a, I don't have major label uh, reach, but I look at, there's a lot of major label artists who in order to make the same amount of money that I make off streaming have to get like five times as many streams as I yeah. do. Just because of like the, the percentage that they have of their own masters and stuff like that. So I think that that facade is just kind of dangerous for society because it, it just creates this whole fake it till you make it culture, which, you know, that's been the motto for a long time and it actually works for a lot of people, but I just don't think there's anything healthy about that at all. Yeah. I think uh, that's one of the, that's one of my favorite sayings in mental health is fake it till you make it. Cause a lot of the time, especially with depression, which is cyclical, you can cycle out of it if you continue to, you know, keep up appearances and stuff like that. But I think with other things, it's like, uh, like, what are we, what's the, what's the end goal with this faking anyway? And, um, you know, actually after our chat last week, cause I, I had no idea what I was going to call this interview series. And then after our chat, it just came to me so easy. It was just the beauty of independence. I don't know why, like, it's just because as you say, you're making more money, I'm seeing you flourish into your own persona and your own personality. And, man, it just seems better. It just seems better that way. Yeah. And I, I appreciate that too. And, you know, like I, I told you before, man, I just appreciate anybody that shines a light on, on people who do it independently. And, and it's tough for me because, you know, I care so much about what I say and how I say it. And I think so much about this stuff. And I, I want people to know the difference between um, between an artist who's doing it independently and an artist who's doing it commercially, who's doing it like through a major label. And not that there's a right way or a wrong way, or not that that my way is, is the right way uh, or is any more impressive really than anybody else's. It's just that it's different. It's mm-hmm. just a completely different game. I mean, it's almost just a different sport um, where one, it, one is just a lot about popularity and, and data. And the other one's about making your own making your own path in your own way in your own business uh i mean i'm sitting here i'm sitting on my couch in my studio next to a bunch of a bunch of packages ready to go out because we pack our own merch Mm -hmm. and 
it's just it's just a different a different beast because we're a lot of us independent artists aren't able to just go into the studio uh record the rap and then leave and then end up with a finished product and the merch gets fulfilled through a warehouse and the tour gets lined up by a booking agent and it's just kind of, you know appearances are flooding in through the publicist and there's just so many facets of a of a commercially successful artist like a major label artist that us as independent artists we just don't have those luxuries and frankly at this point in my career i just don't want those i'm just mm-hmm. i feel better doing doing shit my own way and doing what i want to do anyways i would hate for somebody to hit me up and be like hey man you got to go do this interview today you got to go do this appearance or whatever you got to do this feature I would hate for somebody to tell me what to do. I was going to ask about that because in one of the videos, you talk about how it can be really challenging to kind of G yourself up for a live performance when every single night, when you're not really feeling it. And I would imagine, you know, photo shoots, interviews, all that stuff is a lot of effort, but at the same time being independent is a lot of effort too, because there's so much time and energy you have to put into it. Is it, is it hard to continually put that work in or is it just coming naturally because of the passion? Yeah, I think the hard part is kind of what we talked about earlier, the momentum. Just keeping momentum is, is yeah. the hardest part, especially because you're constantly changing gears. So I might, I, you know, I, I dive into a mix for a month just to make sure that the album's done. And then once I drop the album, now I'm pivoting. I got to pivot to this merch. So then we spend a couple of weeks fulfilling merch and in those weeks fulfilling merch, I haven't been able to make any music. So I'm losing momentum on the music side. Mm-hmm. And then now we got to get, we got to gear up for a tour. So now we're trying to get our live performance tuned in and we're also not focusing on like creating music. So it's just the, constantly switching gears makes it more difficult. Uh, but at the same time, it lets me do shit. Like I'll, I might disappear from dropping music for eight months, but I'll drop 10 music videos. So it lets me be creative in a different space. It lets me go be visually creative instead of instead of with the audio. So it's kind of I welcome it, but it definitely it it keeps me from burning out in one pocket. But overall, it is exhausting just because it's hard to keep changing hats and like being different parts of your own business. One thing that I noticed most about you is that you're very creative in a bunch of different realms. Now, creativity for me just kind of hits me when I don't expect it. And I kind of have to lock in and be like, okay, I have to do a bunch of shit right now because I might not be creative for a month. Like with your creativity, you know, obviously you're making videos, it's comedy, you're writing, you're making music. Does it like when you when you're feeling creative, does it come in a specific way? like do you have to be like okay i'm making an album right now but i feel like doing visuals like i feel like it's flowing with visuals so you got to kind of like change change lanes or is that hard to manage and balance all these different ways that you're creative i think the videos are kind of fun for me and i don't know why maybe i just maybe that's what i want to do long term maybe it's because i want to like i want to write tv and film and shit long term um so maybe that's just always kind of been who i am but I think that's what's really brought out my creativity because now when I start writing a song, if I like the song, then I start to think about how I'm going to make the video. So they all, they all kind of blend together at times. Um, But I, man, I burn out hard. There's, there's a lot of times I try to force it and I just, I'll sit there and feel like the worst 
rapper in the world because I just um, sit there and I can't come up with four bars for an hour or two, which is funny case. A lot of times when art, like as artists get bigger and bigger, like I was saying before about being in the studio with artists who I admire, you just think that these guys do this shit like effortlessly and that they never struggle. They never have any moment of doubt or, or that, you know, they've been doing it for 10 years. They've been commercially successful for 10 years. So it's probably really easy for them, but that's just not the case all the time. And I think that's why it bothers me when, uh, when people try to shit on other people's art i'm like man you have no idea what that dude had to go through to create that and and to have the guts to put it out i mean there's just so many people out there who are so pussy and can Mm -hmm. never ever share their their work or their their uh fucking opinions even like their real self with the world and then they have the nerve to judge somebody else for what they do that kind of stuff bothers the shit out of me this is the problem with social media, man. It's it's very negative. It's very adversarial. Uh, and I do wonder, like, yeah, I mean, how artists stay away from that but also remain connected to their fans because a lot of the time it can be really difficult to kind of single out, okay, because, you know, as an artist and, and as a creator, you do have to listen to some criticism. Like, if you're really fucking up, you have to know about it. But at the same time, I would say 99% of criticism you need to disengage with. So I wonder how yeah. artists actually balance that. It, and it's tough for me. I just, like I was telling you, I started that Patreon type group with my VIPs and I sent them, you know, the alternate beat of, of locked in a box. And there, some of them are, are in the little group chat saying, Oh, I like this alternate beat better. And, and, and me, I mean, I didn't, I obviously didn't say this, but I'm like, I'm like, man, shut up. Like, I, you know, this is literally how I started the unsigned album, which is don't, you know, don't tell me because I don't care. Mm. It, this is really like at the end of the day, uh, and this and this sounds, it makes me feel like such an asshole to say this, but this is how I have to think in order to like m- make sure that I'm creating art that's true to myself. Because I found myself reading YouTube comments a couple months ago and there's there's like, you know, that literally 10,000 comments. And I've read like three or four comments that say, oh, all his songs sound the same. And so then I was making another song and I was like, oh, I got to make sure this sounds different. No, the fuck I don't. Yeah. This you're talking about, you're talking about three people out of like 10,000 that think something and I'm going to change the way that I create just to make those three people happy or, or shut them up. And that shit doesn't even matter. I can make something completely different from what I've ever made. And they're still going to say the same shit just because that's, that's how they feel about me. So, I mean, that's the hardest part is, is you want your fans to be happy because, you know, those are the people that kind of create this foundation for you to, for you to live your life and have a career. But at the same time, you have to be willing to lose fans. And I think maybe that's, maybe that's the best, lesson that i've learned uh early on especially i was just hard on my fans sometimes like i was just if people would say things i'd clap back at them because i'm like man look i did not recruit you to be Mm -hmm. a fan like i did not i did not go out on the street and ask people to become fans of me and like say hey join this and i always do what you want me to do you know you came here voluntarily and you can leave voluntarily and you know that it is what it is that sucks if you choose to leave but frankly 
one fan does not make me successful or or a failure so like you know you're gonna choose to do what you want to do no matter what and i just gotta make what i want to make well this is the hard thing like one of my friends once said because you know I, i cop it quite a lot on social media and they said because you know my friends don't really have a concept of social media and they're just like but they don't know you why would they say that and i'm like that's just what happens but it, it really cut through the whole thing to me because that day all I, I just switched my phone off and i just spent that day with that friend who knew me and knew the kind of person i was and knew the kind of you know stuff i was doing in my personal life and i'm never going to get those kind of comments from my friends because they know exactly who i am and it made me realize I had to, I can't do this. I'm really bad at this, but I have to try and disengage emotionally from what people are saying. I, I don't know how to do it, man. A lot of people can do it. I have no idea how to do it. It still affects me on an emotional level uh, when people say negative things. But at the same time, like even those three people who said that negative thing about that, that one video, you'll get those three comments on your next video if it's completely different, but it'll be three different people. So it's just like, who are you trying to please right now? You end up trying to please everyone. For sure. And that was uh, when I dropped Super Bowl Trophy, it was before the unsigned album. And that was like the first full project that I created. Like I was the first full video and, and song um, that I had created where I was like, before I pressed submit and before I pressed post, I just told myself, I said, hey, I like this no matter mm-hmm. what anybody says about it, no matter how many views it gets, no matter whatever. Like I have to just be content with the fact that I approve of, of this representing me. And, you know, that's really all, that's the only power we have is, is how we, how we feel about that. We don't have, we can't control how anybody else sees our shit, sees our content. You know, I saw you post a, uh, post something the other day that, that people got upset about. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was. Was it, uh, was that some, me? I don't know. It was, yeah, it was some yeah, artist. Um, it was a little Yachty, how much he raps off. Beat. Yeah. 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 And, and, and people got upset about that shit, which is wild, bro. Yeah. But it's yeah. so, it's funny too, when people, when people clap it at you about stuff like that, which is, you know, in the grand scheme, it's relatively meaningless. I mean, that, yeah, you know, nobody's going to remember that. I, I couldn't even remember what the topic was, yeah. you know, a week or two later. And I'm sure people who were upset about that aren't upset about it anymore. But people are just roaming the internet looking for shit to be pissed off about. So that's something that we all got to do a better job of is not taking everything so goddamn personally because other people are just going to be mad. They just want to be mad and they will be mad about whatever the fuck they want to be mad about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I got death threats off that. And when I told, see, again, this is another thing. Like I told my friends and showed them and they were just genuinely shocked. And they're like, why aren't you, what's wrong? Aren't you scared? I'm like, it's just people being angry, man. Like no one's going to come and shoot me just because I said little Yachty raps off beat. Like that's just craziness. So yeah, I, I don't understand it, but you know, I guess I was young and angry at some point. I'm older and less in, invested in all that stuff at the moment. <laughs> one, one thing you said there really interested me about how, you know, you kind of just have to create the art that you want to create. And I think a lot of the time when we see this cross section and this intersection of capitalism and art and business and art, we get these blurred lines where people aren't creating what they want to create. They're not creating from the heart. They're not creating the purity. They're just kind of like, okay, I feel like this is what everyone wants me to do. So I'm kind of going to do that. And we know that 
in life in general, if you live your life in that way, it's not going to be a very meaningful life and you're not going to grow and you're going to be constantly trying to change shape to fit every single kind of situation you're in. And it's just not going to work when you get a solid set of values and you live your life by those values. That's when you can create real meaning and real change. So I think the space you're in now in this independent space is so much more fruitful in that sense. Like you're going to grow as an artist and your fans are going to grow with you. It's not like you can accumulate fans and that just keeps continuing up and up and up forever because otherwise you'd have 10 million fans. Like it just doesn't work like that. People are going to drop off. But I think when you, you really sit there and be like, I'm going to create what I want to create and the people that like it will gravitate towards it. And if they don't, that's okay. I created something I wanted to create without anyone influencing that. Yeah, I look at like my early projects and stuff and some people hear that. I mean, I hear that shit and I listen to my new shit and I'm like, God, I'm so much better now. But some people like my old shit way, way more than my new shit. And when they tell me that, they tell me that as if I should go create the old music that they like. And I'm like, man, it's fine that we grew apart. It's fine that when you were 20 years old and you were being reckless and drunk and and uh, being a dumb college student it's fine that you could relate to that to my old music at that moment and then now that we've both kind of grown and it's you know a couple years past that shit it's also okay that we don't that we're not on the same page anymore because i don't expect us to grow laterally like we're not or we're not going to have like or, or parallel rather we're not going to fucking grow together our entire lives we're completely different people with completely different paths so if you don't relate to to my new shit um or you or you don't like my old shit but you like my new shit like all that shit's fine and and you might you know people say a lot of people will tell me online like oh bro you've never made a bad song and i just want to be like just wait (laughs) you know like i want to be like just fucking hey you stay with me long enough and you're gonna hate some shit for sure yeah. Because I just can't, you know, I'm not going to sit here and act like everyone should like every song I ever put out. That's ridiculous. And if I, if that's the case, then maybe I am making every song that sounds the fucking same. And maybe I should be doing something a little bit different because then that means I'm not really growing much as an artist or a person. So, no, I mean, that's a thousand percent correct. Like as we grow old, like I think one of the harder things is recognizing when you get to like the mid to late twenties and you start losing friends. And it's very confronting because I think when you're young, you just accumulate friends, you know, it's just, you know, superficial things, you connect with people in all these different ways. But when you start getting, you know, more into your family, more into your little circle, people just drop off and it can be really confronting at first, but then you get five or six years into it and you're like, actually, do I really want to still be talking to that person? Not really. So it kind of worked out. And I think everyone goes through that process. And that's a process artists have to go through too with their fans. It's just the way it is. As you grow old and your content changes, people are going to drop off. It's natural. Yeah. The one thing that I wish is I only wish that um, people didn't feel entitled enough to say something about it. Cause it's just like, man, I'm one person, you know, I, I much prefer Eminem's older music to his newer music, but I'm not going to fucking tweet the guy or comment on his, on his Instagram or DM him and, it's like he doesn't give a shit and he shouldn't give a shit. Frankly, mm-hmm. he should make whatever the fuck he wants to make. And I also don't expect me to be able to like me growing up and listening to his shit. I don't expect to be able to relate to him at 40 or however old he is. 
I just I don't have a kid. I don't have the, I don't have that level of success. There's just so many things that I shouldn't necessarily be able to relate to. And I'm not going to bitch and whine about it just because he doesn't make the same music that I used to listen to and enjoy. It is what it is. I mean, that's the way it goes, right? Jay-Z has a song. He's like, you want my old shit? Then just buy my old albums. It's like, yes, yes. Yeah, exactly, bro. Was that that from Blueprint 2 or was that from Black Album? That was Blueprint 3, I think it was. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. On to the next one. It was, I think it was on to the next one. Oh yeah, um, it absolutely was. It absolutely was. That whole album, he's yeah. talking about this whole thing. You know, he's talking about growing he and said, changing. Hold on, that new shit. Yeah, that's that yeah. is for sure. That's it. Yeah, that's it. no, I mean, and that that line always stuck with me because it's like, yeah, seeing an artist grow and develop and being like, yeah, this makes sense. Just go buy my old albums and, and listen to them. I do that, man. I listen to M- old Eminem's old stuff all the time. It throws me back. I'm not really listening to his new stuff because I'm in a different space than I was 20 years ago. That kind of makes sense, you know? Exactly. And there's, and there's actually like, there's nothing wrong with that either. Like, there, like I'm not going to sit here and say that Eminem's new shit sucks just because I don't prefer it. That doesn't mean something sucks just because you don't like it. That, I'm, I feel like that was, a, that was like one of the few mature moments in my life where I, I could look at artists that I didn't like and be like, yeah, they're good. There's a lot of artists out there who make good art that, and I just don't prefer it. It's just not something that like really hits me or I can relate to or whatever. That doesn't mean it's not good. And that's why I hate when people have, people have that sense of entitlement when they're calling something better than this or this. And it's like, no, this is your favorite. That's how you need to word it. This is how you view the art. It's not an objective statement about the art. Yeah, that's, yeah. No, I agree entirely. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your comedy because you're pretty funny. And <laughs> what's what's driving that at the moment? Like, I wrote some questions down here because there's a few Chappelle mm-hmm. show uh, references in there as well, uh, which I really liked. But like, what's kind of driving it? What's influencing it? What direction do you want to go with it? Is it just free form, just offhanded, or is it is it scripted? Like, what's going on with all that? Yeah, the uh, I love doing the shits and gays thing, man. The, Bro, just you need because to do more of that shit because I fucking <laughs> love it. Seriously. Yeah, I mean, because we just we just clown all the time, and so and we just don't like nobody takes them. Nobody on my team is really taking themselves that seriously. Um, just because it's just not it's just not that deep. Nothing's just that fucking. If you can't make fun of yourself, like, bro, I I felt once I started making fun of myself, that's what made me feel invincible to to other people's criticism like when people make fun of me people make fun of like my patchy ass facial hair or the fact that i look like a crackhead or you know what i mean like there's yeah. so many things and i'm like i just i embrace it i'm like dude yes to all those things like i i don't know what else to tell you you know there's like i i tell the whole world that i i often pee sitting down like i don't give a shit you know Bro, like what do you hey, can we talk <laughs> about that for let's just talk about that for a quick hey, second all it right? is a, is this... hey it is a it is a life hack bro it I'm is telling you it is it i is know the, it is I, I always do it. I don't have to clean anything up. I don't have to worry. It's easy. Hey, dude, I, I think the best part of it is is it's hands-free and you yeah. can't miss. So you sit down, you you piss, and you flush with the elbow, and then you get up and you you pull your pants up and you didn't touch your dick. You didn't touch the uh the handle on the toilet, you know, you didn't touch anything. 
So you don't have to sit there and scrub your hands for fucking 10 minutes because I didn't fucking touch anything. I'm often, bro, just so I just sit and pee with the door open and that's it. You know, it's a it is a life hack. I, I can't even imagine the amount of hours I've saved over the last couple of years just sitting down to pee more often, man. That's I think just... I, I think it's the key to my success. I think it's the I think that's it. I think I just unlocked it. And that was I think that I want to I want to see a poll on the most successful people in the world yeah. and how many of them pee sitting down. I mean, I think it's, I, I only started really blowing up on hip hop numbers when I really committed to it. But the thing about it is also like, I don't have a massive penis. So like mine's not, I feel like yeah. some people it might fall down and like dip in the yep. water or like yep. get. See, all... see, people say that people have said that to me before. They're like, Oh no, I can't do that. Cause my, like my dick is extra water. And I'm like, bro, I've never once been concerned about my tiny penis touching yeah, the water. I'm not worried so, about that. So, you know, and, and so that's as I get older, I just realize there's perks to being a short guy. Like if I'm on a plane and there's not a lot of leg room, it's cool. At least I'm not six five. Or if I if you have a small dick, it's cool. Like at least now I can be sitting down without my dick touching yeah. the water. You know, there's just so many things that I used to be so insecure about. But now but but the problem is that I have huge balls. Yeah. You know, I have oh, I, I have that 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 itis, the syndrome where I have the, the shrunken upstairs and the big downstairs so it's just uh i have to sometimes make sure that my balls aren't gonna drip in because then when you flush then they might get pulled down it's a whole that could be a whole mess yeah that's a a massive mess the thing i found (laughs) the the big balls and small penises i pee on my own balls a lot of the time it kind of dribbles under you know it dribbles under and then you gotta like you gotta wipe it and it's it's just it's a bit of a mess you really gotta yeah you honestly uh, sometimes i gotta put a little bib on it you know you gotta you gotta put a little bib underneath just kind of just that's genius kind of prevent that yeah yeah i'm i'm thinking about i'm actually developing a product uh for it now so uh there's a patent pending so if anybody listening is is thinking that that's a business opportunity it's not and you will get sued uh it's it's called the ball bit the ball bib is on its way the people need this because it's, it's coming into winter now in Australia and winter is a really scary time. I've got to really warm up for three or four minutes before I go to the bathroom. Cause I'm like, this is uh, just, oh, how's yeah, it going to some, Sometimes you gotta, you gotta smack it around just so it doesn't go inverted, you know? Inverted so. is a scary phase. <laughs> you don't want to be inverted when you are, you yeah. need to get to a warm room immediately to get your confidence back to a, to an acceptable it, level. It's the truth. You got to flip on, you got to flip on the, the, whatever you're interested in and kind of just watch something just to kind of get the blood flowing again. Hey, for the record, this is definitely, this is definitely what the people want. This is definitely the, the content that I think 90% of my fans are, are looking for is like stuff like the ball bib. I think that, I think we've, we've unlocked it, man. Well, I think last time we probably spent like 40 minutes talking about shitting ourselves. So it's like, I mean, this is, this is our bread and butter. That's true. That's true. And I also need to, I also need to take care of that industry too. I've been, uh, I've been talking with uh, one of my friends, Tyler, who takes care of like a lot of my booking and stuff. He, uh, I've talked to him about I'm like, man, I need some brand deals just for some extra cash to be nice. And I'm like, let's just get something on brand that makes sense. Like how come dude wipes, hasn't hit me up to sponsor shits and gigs yet that makes perfect sense Wait, my youtube following, 
Dude, dude wipes are fucking baby wipes for adult men. That's their really? market. Is yeah, it's just like you know the wet wipes, bro. So That's I'm like, genius. man, that is yeah, because because you know me, I could go. I might even make just a skit on my on my next album where I hop up there and I'm like just doing an ad read for dude wipes, and people won't even blink an eye. They'll be like, wow, this is very on brand for this guy to talk about problems of shitting himself. I mean, it's seamless. That's that's probably I, I ran the numbers. It's about forty percent of your content is about shitting yourself. So it makes yeah, sense. Hey, yeah, hip hop numbers. Yeah, you would know, man. You would know. There's a lot of that. There's a lot of that. What about your videos, though? Maybe maybe a bit of money by drugs. Just you are you in a suit. You in the the kind of the the salesman outfit. That might do it for someone. You know. You're right. The the sleazy used car salesman infomercial role. That's pretty hot, man. That's about, honestly, that's probably about as sexy as I've ever really gotten on screen. Um, you know, I, that one was a little bit too hot to handle for most people, I'm sure. I mean, you need to work on your glutes. That's the only thing that you're, you're struggling with at the moment. When you get those man. those up, those right, then you're going to be a catch. Man, that's, what, that's what, the fucking shits and gigs, man. It's the... It's the the people in my YouTube comments talking about my flat sack. Yeah. So I'm, I'm motivated this summer to, uh, to get them plumped up. You know, I'm trying to have two big old hams back there. I mean, you could always invest in yourself and just get the surgery. I could, I could, I am in LA. That's the Mecca for that. So we're definitely, we definitely got plenty of people out here who could uh, plump it up for me, inject, inject some of my, some of my arm fat into my butt or however they do that. <laughs> I don't know. I'll take some. I'll I'll take some animal fat. We can put some bacon grease in there. Whatever, whatever works. I'm with I mean, it. <laughs> you did say you had like a kilo of bacon in your uh, in your lost, locked in the box song. So maybe you can just use that and just just jab it in there, and and you're ready to go. Videos are going to start hitting millions of plays if that happens. Uh, but that ass, like, I mean, I can't even imagine the level of stardom I would have if I had fat ass and some big tits i mean that's just that's probably really the investment that i need to make in my career is if i can put like a good like 10 15 racks into some and at, at least like some size c titties yeah uh then Easy. man i might just i might just take off but Lil Nas x already did that if you go look at his shit he uh he got some fake titties so and his looks pretty good I mean, Lil Nas X is a good-looking man, and he, you know, he twerked on he the. He is sharp, yeah, bro. Hey, to be real though, that fucking video when I watched it, I was like, "This man is awesome." I know. And I and I and I actually thought the song was a banger too. Um, yeah, people were giving that, giving, giving him shit and stuff. I'm like, man, that's a fucking slapper, and that video is just fucking incredible. I I have yeah. have a ton of respect for him, bro. The production values on that and then the way that he handled it afterwards where he was just like he said i've been pre preparing for this for 12 months like you don't understand this is exactly what i wanted to happen and it just went super viral like crazy yeah. viral and the video was so powerful when i watched it. i'm like okay this man knows what he's doing like this is fucking amazing yeah i mean the, the guy is a, a wizard with the internet like he he's probably the only artist who who actually really knows how to use Twitter to, to the best of his ability, you know, 
Like none of us, a lot of us are pretty reserved. And that guy's just a meme king. You know, he's the best. Hey, baby. Sorry, my dog's barking. Thank you. No, I agree. I actually spoke to him a little bit when he only had like 400,000 followers. And then within like six months of that, he had like 4 million. And it was like, oh shit. Like his glow up was so rapid and it was deserved. I don't know how he did it, but he's got that, he's got that meme quality. Yeah. I think something that's funny, I always think about this and not that, not that anybody fucking asked or anybody cares, but uh, I think that one thing uh, when I see, when I see people have success like that and I, my first feeling is envy because I'm like, damn, I wish my shit would blow up. But uh, like I had, there's a guy I know who we were kind of like on the same level and then he had a song that took off. And I was like, damn, I wish I could have that feeling of a song taking off, charting on Billboard, going viral on TikTok. People know you because of that song, whatever. But then I, like, over time, I realized, you know, there's a struggle associated with that that other people think is not a big deal because they've never experienced it. So, like, I mean, we none of us can practice perfect empathy. So they look at, like, I mean, just for example, Lil Nas X going super viral, big number one Billboard record-breaking hit. And they're like, man, that'd be kind of cool and crazy to, to have that happen. But then now for the rest of your career, you're like chasing that level of success to a degree. Yeah. You know, so because like then so now you're experiencing all this turmoil and all this doubt associated with like, oh, man, can I make another song that big, whatever. And maybe he doesn't. But like people rule themselves out of being able to experience that. Like, they're just like, oh, that would be sick. And it's like, no, man, everybody's life is great and sucks. There's just so many, like, if you have an awesome, if you have a a big family, then you benefit from having a big family and you also suffer because you have a big family. You know, and if you have a massive record, like you benefit from having a massive record and you suffer because you have a massive record. So it's like, we need to stop being envious of, you know, other people's lives. But you lose your anonymity too when that happens. And I feel like that's one of the biggest things where you lose the ability to just look shitty and go to the store and be all fucked up. And, you know, you just can't do that when you're that big. Everyone fucking knows you. I don't know how I would handle that. That would be impossible. Yeah, it's kind of what we were talking about earlier where everybody's flexing and putting up this facade. And that's why I felt like the best character that I could play was just myself. So then I don't have to put a mask on. I mean, yeah. I mean, figuratively, of course, in these states, we still literally have to put a mask on. But like, I don't want to ever have to play a character and like turn that on and off. And then, you know, you reach a point probably where you start confusing yourself with the character and then you, you start to become the character and the character might not be who you want to become. Yeah. So I feel like I feel like being being who you have always been and like who you've like you just are naturally is is usually the best healthiest option for your mental state just because there's not as much fluctuation there's not like this volatility um between you and a character i really like that statement i want to end on that but i do want to ask you do you ever get recognized like does it happen often yeah i mean uh during the pandemic it almost never happens it happened one time uh last summer when I was at, uh, I went to some, I went to Bar Louie or something, something here in LA. Uh, and I don't even know how this girl knew who I was because I had a mask on, but maybe it's the hair. Um, yeah. But 
Yeah, I mean, from time to time, I do in LA, but like I said, I also never go out. I mean, never go out anymore. So it's kind of uh, it's it's a cool feeling when it happens, but I'm like, I'm glad it doesn't happen that often because I often look like a piece of shit. I just look, yeah, I just you know, I'm just like greasy and like nah, <laughs> like I, I look so unapproachable that I think it's I think it works out for me. I'm just like I said. If I get that, if I get a fat ass and big tits, I will be a TikTok star. Yeah, just wait and see. Because you look good. You already look good in uh, in lipstick oh, and man. long hair. If you plait the hair, you, like it's gonna be. Thank I mean, you, come man. on. You know how I feel about you, Carl. You know I think you're attractive. <laughs> like, I've said it like also, 18 times. <laughs> I also need some. I need some uh, underwear that accentuates these big balls. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's always a challenge. Really because how yeah, it's hard man. to talk. You're not gonna be able to talk because they it's just they don't talk. Like they're just gonna they be there. They just don't. They don't. Honestly, that's that's another market. It's just we need some underwear that really shows off the ball. Some good yeah. old ball cleavage. So maybe some underball. You know, there's under boob. So maybe some underball yeah. where where you got like the bottom of the balls hanging out. I think. Get that, I think you get that line between underneath. It. Exactly. So maybe we need like a tailoring service, you know, it's like maybe you get some custom draws where whichever side you're leaning, then you got, it's a little bit longer on that side. Yeah. We got some, we got some good ideas on here and this is basically an entrepreneurial podcast at this point. Somebody's sitting around listening to this writing, like vigorously just writing a business plan right now for all the, uh, Small dick, big bald man out there. Well, I'm a billion I'm dollar, billion dollar industry. I'm expecting offers after this. Like, I'll, I'm expecting people to come knocking because you know this is an untapped market. We're not that rare, man. This is, I would say it's probably ten to fifteen percent of the population is is suffering from, or not suffering. I wouldn't say it's an affliction. I would say it's you know it's a positive thing. Right. I, I mean, there are definitely benefits to it. I think we need to change the stigma. You know, I think we need to change the conversation. We need to start the conversation is the first step. Yeah. And and I think I think we can all we can all make the world a better place for us guys with small dicks and big balls. I think that that's the perfect way to end this interview. I, I really do think that it couldn't have ended any better than that. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Well, hey, dude, I appreciate you having me on for real. Like, I, I honestly... Uh, I value the opportunities to talk about this kind of shit just because this is the stuff that consumes my mind, especially the ball stuff. Yeah, um, it's the stuff that the stuff that consumes my my mind on a regular basis. And like, I actually love the the opportunity to talk about like being independent and shit and just kind of getting a, getting to shed a light um, on the behind the scenes and let people let people who give a shit kind of get to hear, you know my side of the story and shit like that so appreciate you having me on i'm really appreciative of you coming on man thank you so much and, and giving up your time is there anything you want to plug before you go apart from locked in the box yeah locked in the box i just dropped the video today so which is which would probably be like a couple of weeks ago after this video so or after this uh this comes out so let's see what's my next move there's a uh song and video for touchdown uh, that should be out now hopefully it's out uh at this point in the future and then there should also be maybe a song a video for uh for a song called nba jam that might okay. be out right now so who knows man i'm i'm honestly i'm trying to get back in in full form where i'm like dropping where i'm creating a lot and dropping 
um, almost weekly. So we'll see. We'll see how that goes. I'm going to try to gain and keep that momentum. All right, man. Super excited to hear from it. And uh, yeah, thank you again for coming on. I really do appreciate it. No doubt, man. Appreciate you. Appreciate what you do, man. All right. Talk to you soon, man. Peace. All right, man. We'll see The Beauty of Independence is powered by Charlie Taylor's Fifth Element Podcast Network and Hip Hop Numbers. Links to everyone's socials can be found in the description. The Beauty of Independence also lives on Central Source in text form. The link will be in the description. As always, thank you for joining us and stay independent is better. Thank you.